Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We are back with the World Soccer Talk podcast. My name is Christopher Harris, joined here by Kartik Krishnayar. This one, this podcast, for the first time in quite a while, we're doing it together. Uh, reason being is that Kartik is in town, and this actually segues really well into uh, the topics we're talking about today, because uh, one of the main topics we're talking about is a lot of the the words mentioned by MLS Commissioner Don Garber from his State of the League address, uh, which covers many different topics, which are perfect for this podcast. Uh, he, he talked about uh, Apple TV. He talked about uh, the calendar. He talked about other leagues. Well, Kartik is in town for well, to see me, of course, but also for a major reason, which is I'll let you explain. Yeah, which is one of those other leagues, which is uh, USL and Sporting Jacksonville, uh, new team in USL, both on the men's and women's side. And this is going to be really unique in that they're going to use the same branding for the men's pro team in the USL championship and the women's professional team in the USL Super League, they launched today. So I'm in town to cover the launch. Uh, We have uh, uh, a lot going on in the Jacksonville area, the Jacksonville Armada, an existing team that was previously in the NASL. They were a second division team, has played amateur, adult amateur the last few years, are joining MLS Next Pro, which we're going to talk about, among other things, uh, on this podcast. And then now we have the launch of this team that is going to play uh, in both of the USL, the top leagues in the USL structure, the second division uh, on the men's side, which is USL Championship, that's the top USL league, and then the USL Super League on the women's side, which is going to be a co-first division with NWSL. So huge uh, launch today. Uh, that's why I'm in town to cover that launch. And uh, Chris, a uh, guy by the name of Tim Tebow, mm. and another guy by the name of Fred Taylor, that those of you who listen to this podcast and think we're just soccer snobs <laughs> uh, and we don't like other sports, well, those two guys uh, both went to the University of Florida where I went to school. I was in school when Fred Taylor was a running back. So huge thrill to see those two guys as part of the ownership group, a personal thrill for me to see them as a as part of the ownership group today that was unveiled uh, for this new USL club uh, here in Jacksonville. Yeah, so Don Garber's State of the League address, which is every year he does the same thing right before the MLS Cup final and talks about you know, future plans and expansion and how things are going. Um, so before we get into some of the things he did talk about, the most interesting things, uh, a couple of the quotes uh, that came out of this uh, State of the League address. The first quote is, talking about MLS, of course, we wanted to be part of the global conversation, and now we're the dominant story in global soccer. 
And then the second one was that the eyes of the world are now on MLS. And I, and I think, I mean, I mean, Don Garber and, and doing the State of the League address, a lot of it is PR. A lot of it is, quite frankly, BS. A lot of it is he's a businessman trying to sell the league, trying to talk about how great it is. Um, but oftentimes I think people take things that he says at face value and don't kind of think about or analyze what he's actually saying. From personal experience, being in England in August on the same weekend as the League's, League's Cup final, major story, right? Like MLS, uh, Messi, Nashville, etc. That weekend, being in England, um, I didn't hear anything about League's Cup. Not in the newspapers, not on TV, not in talking to people. Uh, everyone was talking about England in the Women's World Cup final. So I think part of it too is if you look at... In social media, or if you're looking at, you're watching MLS season pass and see Messi score all these goals, that's fantastic. But the reality is, is that you mean MLS is not part of the global conversation. Well, it's part of the global conversation, but they're not the dominant story in global soccer. And I think him saying that the eyes of the world are on MLS. Yes, people are watching, but they're not watching as. You mean aggressively or, or in the numbers that, that he believes or he wants to believe that people actually are? Yeah, and that same weekend uh, here in the U.S., I, I think there were people in my circles talking about the Leagues Cup final, but far more people were talking about England and Spain and the Women's World Cup final. Yeah. Even in the American soccer world, that tended to be the dominant story because it was a World Cup final. It, it's no uh, uh, insult towards MLS to say they took a backseat to a Women's World Cup final. But uh, you can't have this kind of hyperbole and be taken seriously when we know that wasn't the case. Right. And we know they're not the dominant topic of conversation in global soccer. In fact, I think after that point, I, interest in Messi globally and Inter-Miami kind of receded, right? Yeah. That was kind of the high point was that maybe that Open Cup final was the high point. No, and that would, no I think it was, it was – I mean, basically after that League Cup final, I think that was it. It was, was kind it, of like yeah. the peak. Um, and then shortly thereafter, right, the European seasons were in full swing. And mm. but um, but yeah, and and this is the England uh, Spain Women's World Cup final, and this is before uh, any of the controversy. Yeah, happened yeah, yeah. With the yes, kiss. right. I mean, so it, 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 the kiss took it to a different level. <laughs> but um, but no, no, so so that was the first thing that, that Garbo was talking about. That kind of like when I heard those words, I'm like, ah, that's that's not really not reality. Some of the most interesting things that he, that did come out of the State of the League address was, number one, that they're continuing to look at the schedule every year. Uh, but he mentioned that an apertura, clausura, split season is something that they've been thinking about. And Kartik, you and I have been talking about this for well, numbers of years, but I mean, majorly so probably in the last six to nine months, saying like they seriously need to consider doing this split season because the season's too long. There's too many teams, um, and then kind of basically, you know, after a couple of months, you lose interest in the season. There's nothing to play for. But Don Garber mentioning Apertura and Clausura, that's promising. It still would be single entity. It still would be, I mean, within the closed system. But at least it's a better structure for the calendar. Oh, absolutely. We did it in NASL when I worked at NASL. 
I'll caution Don Garber and Dan Courtmanch and the guys who run communications for MLS. It was such a hard sell to our fans. I had to go on radio shows like this, podcasts like this, basically that every fan group did in, the, in our league to explain to them, this is not going to be any different. This isn't going to be radically different from what you experience. Uh, they would call it like craptistic schedule and all sorts of things. Why would we get rid of the, the normal uh, format? Eventually, MLS, uh, excuse me, NASL fans embraced it because what it did is it made every game much more important. So without promotion and relegation, it was the only way at NASL we felt like we could keep teams competitive and keep fan bases engaged if your team is so far back because then you have the second half of the season. Uh, we called it fall and spring. We didn't call it uh, Apertura and Clausura. I think it would be really good for MLS. And I think you break it up with Leagues Cup in the middle. Yeah. You play Leagues yeah. Cup right yeah. in the middle of it. it. I think it would work. Yeah. And for 2023, imagine if Leagues Cup was the break in the middle and then the season, the second half of the season started right after that. So at that point, then Messi and Inter Miami would have you mean, an, an opportunity to go all the way and win, win the trophy. I mean, they, they didn't make the playoffs. But, um, but yeah, so... Them just even mentioning it is a positive sign and that at least they're open to that possible uh, possibility. So the second thing that I thought was most interesting that I pulled out of this you know, one-hour conversation was that um, there might be changes to MLS's participation sometime in the future in the U.S. Open Cup. And those are the words from Don Garber. So he said that there might be changes. They're discussing, talking things over with U.S. soccer Um They've been on records in the past about saying that they have some issues that they want to fix. Kartik, is this is this a kind of a you mean a, a, an alarm bell ringing here, or is this that that just we should just ignore it and forget about it? It is alarm bell ringing. Let it's just remind the listeners. MLS or so- Soccer United Marketing, which is the marketing arm of MLS owned by MLS owners, was the marketing agency of record for the U.S. Open Cup until this year. And now that U.S. soccer has brought it back in-house, MLS suddenly has all sorts of problems with Open Cup. And I think uh, part of the motivation for League's Cup was so that they had a cup competition they controlled and that they kept the revenue from. This is about revenue. This is about sponsorship. This is about TV money. The the, the TV deal uh, with Turner, Turner Sports, that U.S. soccer negotiated includes the Open Cup. And then, obviously, we saw what CBS did with Open Cup this past year. Uh, That deal, that sub-license deal would not have been possible if some were still managing it. It would have all been – it would have all been on Apple, actually, the whole Open Cup. Yeah. So – I think this is about that. This is about sponsorship and television. Do I take the threat that MLS will leave the Open Cup at some point seriously? Yes, I do, because they want to control all their revenue streams, which may seem acceptable from a business standpoint, but it's not acceptable from a soccer competition standpoint. And so those things are coming at loggerheads. Yeah, so with that, though, too, I mean, MLS, in order to, if they did want to exit out of U.S. Open Cup, they can't because it's the pro league standards yes. maintains that they have to participate in that competition. To be a sanctioned league, yes. So is there any way around that? I, I don't know if they would allow teams to opt out or maybe they have their own qualification tournament and say, hey, we're only going to take – well, how many teams do they have now? 30? Uh, they'll only take 16 spots. Right. At Once upon a time, remember, MLS teams had to play into Open Cup. Do you remember those days? Wow. Yeah, way back when. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that was one thing that was kind of strange was every USL team got in in those days, but there were MLS teams that the teams that did not make the playoffs had to play into the Open Cup, Hmm. whereas the teams that made the playoffs automatically went to a later round. Right. So it was structured differently then. Uh, Now you have a situation where 
you have 10 MLS teams next season that have qualified for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. The assumption is maybe they'll be given um, some preference in scheduling for the Open Cup to maybe placate some of MLS's concerns. So let's watch that. That might happen. Right. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe they, they don't compete in the U.S. Open Cup because they're playing in the Champions well, Cup. Well, that could be right. happen too, kind of, right. So um, before I get to the, the third point that he mentioned, and this is talking about uh, MLS season pass, um, going on about the second point in terms of uh, MLS's participation sometime in the future in the U.S. Open Cup is up, up in the air. But he did also talk about other markets, uh, talking about expansion. And Don, Don Garber did say, I think there are other cities where there's great opportunity to expand MLS. Phoenix is an exciting market. Tampa is an exciting market. There was a time when I thought we would have a team in Detroit, but Sacramento is a great soccer market, and the USL is doing a great job there. Let's see in time how all of this plays out, and if it makes sense, we'll take a look at it. Uh, and I think in other interviews he did recently too, he talked about Jacksonville as another city that uh, is ex- an exciting market. So when he's dropping these names, Kartik, he's mentioning Phoenix, Jacksonville, Tampa, Detroit, Sacramento. Um, I mean, again, what can we read into this? He's also mentioned San Antonio in recent interviews. They're all markets with existing USL clubs, or as we talked about at the top of the podcast, the reason I'm up here this week is because Jacksonville will have a team in the USL championship in the very near future. So they're all USL markets where they're trying to poach, either poach existing USL brands or put the USL team out of business. Uh, there, are bo- there are two models, right? They uh, have taken USL teams up in, in, in markets in the past, Cincinnati, uh, Orlando, obviously an NASL team in, in Minnesota, uh, NASL team in Montreal. But now the new model, Chris, appears to be going to existing USL markets, Charlotte, St. Louis, mm-hmm. San Diego, mm-hmm. and displace the USL team. Right. Yeah. Kartik, for those of you who don't know, is uh, the author of the book called Soccer Wars, which you talked about your experience in uh, working with NASL, but talking about NASL, USL, and MLS, um, I mean, it, it, soccer wars never ends in this yeah. country, unfortunately. But um, so let, let me play, play you a clip. This is actually from um, halftime of the MLS Cup final. You probably didn't get a chance to hear this, but this is uh, an interview that uh, Stu Holden and John Strong did with uh, MLS Commissioner Don Garber. Uh, let me play this. I just want to get your reaction about uh, what he says. We talk about a global superstar in Lionel Messi, but one of the big focuses for the league has been the player pathway from academies, MLS Next Pro, all the way up to the senior team. We see some great examples on the field, Naden Morris and Patrick Schulte today. How big of a focus is that now for MLS? You know, Stu, the great story about what it is that we're thinking about in growing the game is at the top, guys like Lionel Messi, but from the bottom, MLS Next, MLS Next Pro, really building the foundation and the ecosystem of soccer in America. We're so committed to that. And the Columbus School are a great example. All of our clubs are deeply committed to this idea of the, the building the pyramid and ultimately building the sport from the top and the bottom. So he mentions building the pyramids and building the foundation. What's your take on this? And this is probably the first time you're hearing this. Yeah. So I watched uh, the MLS Cup final on uh, Apple. So I didn't hear that interview. Uh, that is MLS uh, code for saying we're going to try and consolidate the pyramid under our control. Mm-hmm. So when you go to academy, you're going to have to go to an, uh, an MLS academy uh, affiliated with an MLS club or a in- independent youth club uh, that might be an elite youth club. That's part of the MLS Next 
ecosystem. Then we're going to want you to begin your professional career in MLS Next Pro, not uh, uh, go to USL, go to uh, uh, um, NISA, wherever else, or NPSL. And then we're going to try and move you into an MLS club. It's going to be a consolidated system. uh, And when you read between the lines and you talk about the cities he mentioned in expansion, it's okay, we're going to knock USL out. Basically, MLS Next Pro is a rival league to USL. We're, we're seeing that here in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a rival league. They are very deliberately going into markets that they either think they can compete with USL in or they can prevent USL from adding teams in. Another, another market to watch real quickly I'll mention is the Cleveland market. I think USL might have an answer to MLS Next Pro's Cleveland team uh, soon or that part of Ohio. Um, but this is a soccer wars again, and uh, MLS is trying to consolidate everyone within their 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 pyramid and their ecosystem. They don't want anything on the outside. It's kind of happening on the women's side too. Quite honestly, MLS Next has made a big push competing with ECNL in terms of women elite women's youth clubs. Um, people haven't noticed that because NWSL doesn't have its own youth system. So MLS Next is actually filling the void, um, or at least trying to compete with ECNL uh, on the elite level on the, on the girls' side too, which I think is kind of dangerous yeah. from my perspective. Yeah, what I take from it is that uh, MLS is trying to drive USL out of existence. Yes. USL or MPSL or anyone. And basically from top to bottom or from bottom to top, he's talking about building the pyramid, building the foundation, actually controlling all of soccer in the United States. To me... This, this should be the role of U.S. soccer coming in and saying, okay, we're going to have D1, D2, D3, D4. This is how it's going to be set up. But what it is to me is MLS saying, okay, hey, U.S. soccer is too busy with the, the, the men's team and the women's team and all the lawsuits. Uh, they've taken the eye off the ball. They don't have the, the resources or kind of the even probably the desire to, to manage all this. And then MLS is saying, okay, hey, well, you know, we'll, we'll do this for you. I mean, we're going to go ahead and build it. It would be the same to, I mean, in England, for example, if the Premier League said, okay, hey, we're going to go ahead and uh, take control of the Football League and basically for, um, I mean, the Championship, League One, League Two, and non-league and actually control the entire system. There'd be riots in England if that happened. And uh, this thing was was underway even before MLS Next launched. Um, really ominous development uh, for me, was when the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, you remember that well, Chris, you can yeah. go all about that with your family. Uh, they split into two tiers and they put all the MLS academies in tier one. And there were only a few independent non-MLS affiliated clubs. Then less than a year later, U.S. Soccer said, we're a- exiting the academy business. And MLS Next was launched immediately mm-hmm. and then took all those clubs in. So um, I feel like U.S. Soccer... Uh, didn't take a hands-off approach. They they assisted this. They they created a transition without anyone else having an opportunity. And now they're consolidating. They're um, allowing MLS to consolidate the pyramid uh, under their uh, – consolidate an ecosystem because it's not really a pyramid. Let's be honest. Right. Create well, an ecosystem within – completely controlled by them. Well, that's the thing, though, too. He's talking about building the pyramids. <laughs> this is not a pyramid, right? Because in a pyramid, you have promotion and relegation. You can move from the bottom tier all the way up to the top tier. This, I don't even, if it's not, if it's not a, a, a triangle, I, I don't know if it's a square box, whatever it is. But, I mean, there's, I mean, they will control the system. They're not going to build the pyramids. I mean, that's, so, so to me, it's a little bit, I mean, 
now it sounds good, right? It sounds like building the pyramid. It sounds exciting. Um, the reality is it's not going to be a pyramid. Or it'll be a pyramid in their eyes, but without promotion relegation, without the opportunity, opportunity for the most part, for teams to move up through the ladder unless they were willing to you know, pay the, whatever the expansion fee is to move into that league. In, in the interest of fairness, I will say USL has done some of the same things. Yeah. They're a franchise-based league. They tried to sell as many franchises as possible. They want uh, their clubs to all have academies and they play in the USL Academy League and not have independent clubs in that or non-USL affiliated academies. So they've done a, the, some of the same thing, but they're not in the same financial position or position uh, with US soccer or anything, finances, anything that MLS is. So the real threat comes that MLS is making an aggressive attempt to consolidate um, everything under their direction. And last point on this, Chris, I hear from uh, people who are covering MLS closely that there is more of an interest in Next Pro now mm-hmm. from MLS executives than there's. They launched the league a couple of years ago and broke and began to pull their teams out of USL because their reserve teams used to be in various USL leagues. Um, there's been more interest in the last three or four months. Uh, from MLS executives and also MLS kind of uh, headhunters at um, specific MLS clubs, at existing MLS clubs mm-hmm. uh, like Minnesota United and Sporting Kansas City, to name two, to go and try and uh, uh, attract investors into MLS Next Pro. So it's a priority not only for the league office, but now for individual MLS clubs to mm-hmm. say, okay, I'm Sporting Kansas City. Let's see if I can get an MLS Next Club, uh, Next Pro club in Omaha, which is close to me, which happens to be a USL market. There's a lot of that going on, I understand. So look out. It's a priority for Garber. It's not by accident he said this to Stu Holden. Right. And that's why I thought that it's important for us to really kind of uh, talk about what he does say, because I think, again, a lot of journalists, frankly, a lot of people take him at face value and don't really kind of think about what he's saying or don't analyze it. Like for, for me, for example, like to me, what's all of this is happening and what he's saying is that MLS is framing itself to be the, the be-all and end-all of club soccer in the, in the United, States, United States and taking over the role that a football association such as the USSF or if it was a different country, if it was the English FA or whoever, should be doing. So uh, to me, they're overstepping their, their kind of bounds or, or over the line. But uh, if US soccer is you know, not going to say anything or not stand up to them, then – and, and that's, the, that's the thing too from the MLS conversations with – and how – the stuff that was on tape in terms of Don Garber speaking to JT Batson, uh, the, the USSF CEO, and just that conversation, it seemed that Garber was the one that had the authority yeah. and was talking down to US soccer. And then the US soccer was kind of scrambling back and kind of being on the defensive when really I think it should be the other way around. Yeah. And uh, if you go to Spain, uh, Javier Tebas has all kinds of problems with the Spanish Federation. They push back on when he says – crazy things in the media, which he's known to do, uh, oversells things in the media, which he's known to do, the Spanish Federation punches back at La Liga. But that doesn't happen in this country. In fact, Garber basically says, I'll take my toys and go home. Yeah. And you'll be stuck with this thing. And even the when he talked down to JT Baston, he was talking about uh, stadiums uh, and, and the venues not being proper from lower division teams. MLS teams go and play in, in, in garbage 
absolute rubbish venues in the early rounds of the Open Cup. And we were talking about Next Pro. Go see uh, the crowd at a Next Pro game. Compare it to a USL match. Mm-hmm. Uh, compare just the crowd energy there. So they, 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 it's funny. Some of this is projection from Garver. Yeah. They're the ones with the venue problem mm-hmm. sometimes in early rounds of Open Cup. They're, they're saying uh, it doesn't present well on television. Well, uh, CBS did a wonderful job with the Open Cup. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, it's. I think a lot of it that might be. Hey, it's not on Apple. So for us, if it's not on Apple, it's not. It's. It doesn't present well. Right. Exactly. A um, couple more quotes too. This is one actually that he mentioned. Actually, I don't think it was on the State of the Media address or the the, the State of the League address. But it was uh, about a week ago or maybe ten days ago. He spoke to Columbia University uh, to their business program, kind of just talking about some of the exciting things happening with MLS. Um, this one I, th- I thought was pretty funny. So let me play this. It's a really short clip. Puts us in a position where our league is respected by the rest of the football world more than it's respected by people here who are following global football, which is an enormous irony. <laughs> I think he's talking about us, Kartik. He might be talking about us <laughs> and, and some others like us. There are other critics of MLS in this country. Uh, I do think there is a little bit of truth to this, Chris, quite frankly, because there's a curiosity about MLS. When I talk to people from abroad, fans from abroad, journalists from abroad, they're curious about MLS. They they, they, they think, OK, this league has sustained itself in the U.S. It's a tough environment. Um, but then when you get into the actual structure and you start talking to them about it, they think oh, that's really weird. That's really yeah. strange. Yeah. And there's still an assumption that there is promotion and relegation in the U.S. When you talk to people yeah. and I say I support a second division club that's in USL, Miami FC. Oh, uh, well, if you get promoted, you'll be playing Messi's <laughs> team. Well, no, we can't get promoted. Right. It's the point. And Doesn't we're in a different sense. ecosystem. We're in USL. They're in. Yeah, they'll bring up a next pro team if they ever do pr- promotion and relegation. <laughs> All right, and then the third thing um, he mentioned in the state of the league address, the third and final thing, really, is he said that he's not prepared to reveal any viewing information for MLS games and is instead focusing on how many subscriptions MLS season pass has. And I have a clip about that too. This is again, this clip is from the uh, Columbia University uh, discussion, and this one too is a pretty short one too. But let me play this. And lastly, Julian, it's a partnership, and that's the most different aspect of it. After we hit the minimum guarantee from Apple, we make 50 cents of every dollar. That's the risk in this deal. I'm highly, highly confident we'll get into that revenue share. So that's Don Garber talking about the Apple MLS deal, um, saying it's risky. It's risky uh, because they have to hit a minimum guarantee. What that minimum guarantee is, I'd imagine it's subscriptions. What that minimum guarantee is, we don't know. Nobody knows. It hasn't been made public. Um, But whatever that number is, if and when Apple and Major League Soccer hits that, then in terms of the the wheels are off, right? Then it's 50 cents on every dollar in terms of subscriptions that they add from around the world. That's that's amazing. If that happens, that could be really lucrative for Major League Soccer. Now, what that minimum guarantee is and what Apple has decided that to be and whether they have enough ability, right? I mean, they can't sign any more Messi's. I mean, you can try to get, uh, well, Suarez has come in, maybe Lewandowski maybe, or some of these players, but they're not going to move that needle that much. But that I thought was really interesting in terms of the 50 cents on every dollar. That That's that's uh, remarkable. But, but talking about MLS season pass, and this is a good segue, um, the viewership numbers for the MLS Cup final, 
between uh, Columbus Crew and LAFC were released um, recently. The, the view numbers, we don't know what the view numbers are for MLS Season Pass, but on Fox, over-the-air network television, uh, it was 815,000 people that watched the game. Last year, uh, I believe it was 1.5 million people watched it on Fox last year. Now, the big difference is, is of course, MLS Season Pass. How many people watched it on MLS Season Pass? And we may never know what that number is. Um, if it's a good number, I would think that MLS would release it. If we don't hear anything, then it's probably it's not worth mentioning. Yeah, and I think there were another six hundred or seven hundred thousand viewers on Univision last, last year. Last, last year. year, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, this year, uh, their Spanish language it's all on Apple. So, well, well Fox Reporters had it. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah well, so well, maybe we'll wait for that number and see yeah. how that uh, overlays. It probably won't be the same as the Univision number, but. Um, I didn't realize the match was on Fox Reportes, so that's that's a positive for MLS. Yeah, I, I think that the the um, interest is down because of Apple and the Apple deal. Uh, I, I think that it has hurt MLS's visibility, which is really a shame because Columbus plays brilliant football. I know you and I disagree on this point. Mm-hmm. Strongly disagree on this point. I took an interest in Columbus. I started taking an interest in Columbus's football when Greg Berhalter was the manager. I thought they played good football. I liked the way they played. Didn't, they didn't quite win an MLS Cup. They got to a final yep. and lost to Portland. Um, and then uh, kicked on with Caleb Porter with the, with the style. And uh, now under Wilfred Nancy, uh, fantastic. And the atmosphere in Columbus matches the atmospheres in Germany or England, yeah. which is the only place in MLS. Well, maybe if Kansas City hosted a final, I could see them producing that kind of atmosphere, but very few atmospheres like this. So this would have been such a great showcase for MLS Mm -hmm. if it had been on ESPN or ABC. And they could have put it up against a Bundesliga match or against a Premier League match and said, this is great atmosphere. This is great, at least from one of the sides, great football. LAFC, very negative, uh, very uh, disappointing the way they set up in that match. Uh, But unfortunately, there was less buzz about it. This should be the triumph of MLS Mm -hmm. because this is – a young manager in Nancy who's come to this country has done a remarkable job. They're playing incredible football. Yep. The atmosphere is amazing. It does feel like you're at a Borussia Dortmund game, right? With the with the uh, gold kits, yellow kits, and yep. uh, the, the atmosphere. But instead, this was on Apple, and it also was tainted by MLS's own missteps several years ago uh, with with that uh, Columbus uh, Crew Club which is why Don Garber ultimately got booed <laughs> the trophy uh, presentation. And I know a, lo- a number of crew fans, many of them I became friendly with during the Save the Crew movement. They're not forgiving Garber. Right. They're glad they still have their club. They're, uh, uh, the parade, uh, everything, the, the, the atmosphere in the city after is like uh, it's like winning a, a Super Bowl, right, in, in mm-hmm. American football. Yep. That's how big it was in Columbus. And it's by the way, it wasn't that way in L.A. In that last year and most places MLS Cup winners have had. It was that big in the town, but that doesn't mean they like the league or they like uh, Commissioner Garber. So that's this all puts kind of a asterisk next to this great accomplishment. Yeah. Yeah. And the viewing number two, also, it was free on Apple TV. And then it was, uh, I guess, presumably, well, actually, it was on MLS Season Pass, which you have to subscribe to, but it was free on Apple TV, free on Fox. And then Fox Supporters is usually through cable or satellite or, or streaming. So will we ever find out what that, 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 that number is? Probably not. I don't think we will. Um, unless, it's a, unless it's a great number. Unless it's a great number. In fairness to the people who push back on us saying that we're not fair, I will say in the interest of fair, fairness, because this match was advertised on Apple TV 
plus uh, for non-season pass subscribers. Now, in the past, I there have been free games all season, mm-hmm. but people didn't know that, and they would say sign up for season pass. Right. Um, watching Apple TV on Saturday, the interface did not say that. It said watch now. Okay. Or, or uh, uh, to yeah. people who didn't, who is if they were uh, okay, not random people, but if you're subscribed to Apple TV Plus already, you got the watch now button, yeah. which you never got before. I think the number may have been a little higher because of that. Yeah. than normally it would be. Would it get to the number from last year? No, there's no way. Yeah, and in compar- comparison, so for this past weekend on the same day on Saturday, uh, the Dortmund against RB Leipzig game on uh, ABC, and this doesn't include ESPN Plus uh, streaming subscribers either, was uh, just over 400,000. And then the game between uh, Arsenal and Aston Villa, or Aston Villa and Arsenal uh, on NBC and Telemundo, which doesn't include the Peacock subscribers, um, was uh, approximately 1.2 million. So, I mean, it shows that, I mean, really, you could look at it and say, okay, well, the Bundesliga is half as popular as uh, MLS, maybe on, on over-the-air television, and MLS is close to being about half as popular as the Premier League in terms of over-the-air numbers. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, in terms of the Bundesliga number, that was a head-to-head number against the Premier League. Um, I uh, I have already gotten pushback. I know Bundesliga fans get very defensive uh, when this gets pointed out, but uh, I, I, I guess it was Arsenal and Aston Villa, so it was a big Premier League match. But, yeah. geez, I thought those numbers would be much closer to one another. I, I'm... Uh, as someone who's very, uh, and we say this all the time, Chris, we're fans of the Bundesliga, yeah, and I know we beat up on them from a media perspective. Uh, boy, that what, doing one third of the number at the same time is uh, yeah. is is kind of embarrassing. And if you're Disney and, and ESPN, ABC, I mean, you're probably thinking just like you 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 opted out of MLS. Eventually, mm-hmm. maybe we're not going to renew the Bundesliga if we put it head to head with the Premier League and we're getting one third the number. Yeah, for a very big game in the Bundesliga, two right. two of the three big clubs, really. Um, that's that's not good. Yeah, or if the Bundesliga expects uh, more money than the last rights deal, oh, forget it. And then ESPN says, "Well, look at the numbers." I mean, they might say, "Yeah, that's that, that's." I mean, we're, you, we're not paying that. You put a sporting event on network television in the middle of the afternoon in the United States. The minimum it'll get is probably three hundred thousand viewers. So the Bundesliga just got a tick above that, right? Whereas right. the Premier League uh, quadrupled that. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, we're, we're beating up a little bit on MLS, but I think it's that number is even more ominous for the Bundesliga. That's a really bad number, in my yeah. opinion. I, I would go to say, Kartik, that we're, we're, we're fa- we mentioned we're fans of the Bundesliga. We're fans of MLS. We're fans of the Premier League. We're, I think we're fans of all soccer. The thing about MLS I don't like is um, the system yeah. and, and the way it's structured. Um, I feel it should be like others around the world. And yes, there's many different reasons why it is the way it is. Um, but it's not that we hate MLS. It's just that we expect more. We expect better. It, it can be better. Whether or not it ever will in terms of MLS, especially talking about today's topic about them building the pyramid, um, at this point, I mean, it, it's, it's almost unstoppable, right? I mean, can you, can you foresee anyone kind of you mean going in there and, and, and even preventing them from doing this so obviously I'm, I'm up here today for USL now a big USL announcement which uh, brought the president of both the USL championship and uh, the Super League uh, to town it was a big deal for USL this announcement and even uh, their brand and back all the USL executives were here yeah um, I um, 
I think they have 18 to 24 months to get it right. I mean, that sounds dire, yeah. uh, but they do have 18 to 24 months and they have infrastructure. They have uh, smart people there. I obviously interacted with some of them just a few hours ago. But uh, if, if USL doesn't have a solid foundation for that women's league uh, in 24 months and the championship uh, hasn't lost more teams, you know, MLS hasn't gone in and taken Tampa Bay and all, all the play Phoenix, all the places that Garber mentioned, um, then maybe they have a fighting chance. But I think uh, there is a real possibility you're going to see because there's a churn and burn rate at lower division anyway, mm-hmm. that USL will start to lose clubs at the championship level, not be able to replace them. And so while I say 18 to 24 months, I'm not saying USL will be out of business in 18 to 24 yeah. months. It'll be 10 years, but or eight to 10 years, but then they won't have the foundation to which to fight this. And they'll right. be like the when I worked at the NASL, it was kind of uh, there was a lot that went wrong, but it was just a matter of time. Before MLS picked us off and took us out. So I think USL is not at that stage yet, but they have at best two years to get the foundation right to where they can be competitive. Mm -hmm. Part of that, Chris, uh, is promotion and relegation. We know the president of USL, Paul McDonough, is very big, a former MLS executive, right? He's over at USL now. Um, Paul McDonough is very big on ProRel, and he knows uh, just from private conversations, I know that Paul McDonough feels they have to do it. Mm For this reason, yep. um, and I think they will do it, but they yeah. got to get it. They got to get it in place in the next twenty-four months. Yeah, and I, I think there's enough room for both of them. I mean, because okay. like, the way I look at it too is that you look at MLS. What major markets in in the United States? What major cities are they not in yet? And it's Detroit, it's Phoenix, it's I mean, I don't know, Tampa. Um, those are the three largest metropolitan areas they're not in. Okay, and, 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 and there's probably I'm sure some other cities. I mean, San, Sacramento. Sacramento is one of San the larger Antonio. TV markets they're not in. San Antonio is a little smaller TV market. There's also uh, very much the possibility that they, they might start uh, 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 doubling up, right? They might start saying, hey, you know, we can if – there, if there's a market where there's an MLS team and a USL team, mm-hmm. um, markets where they both exist, oh, you know, we're going to put a next pro team, independent next pro team in there and take the USL team out. Right. Um, Indianapolis is a little smaller market. I'm surprised Garber didn't mention that market, mm-hmm. uh, but that's one I know that they're they're uh, they've been interested in in the past. Um, and Raleigh Durham is another one they've been interested in in the past. I think I think that the question I have, or the, the analysis I have, is MLS is going after the, the, the paying spectator, right? Yeah. The person that goes week in week out to these games will open up the wallets, buy tickets, buy season tickets, buy merchandise, and go out on a Saturday night and have a good time and enjoy those games. It, that's not the same crowd as everyone watching soccer across the entire nation. I mean, most of it, whether it's Liga Mackeys or Premier League or Bundesliga, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I think there's an, I mean, they see, they see the opportunity basically to go after that, but, and, and they can be very successful as they have uh, already shown that they are. Um, but whether or not they are actually going to win over the, the entire soccer population and have more of them watching MLS. I, I, I guess I guess that's my point. Is I still question whether or not, as a TV product, right? As a TV product, um, this is a long way, long winded way of me getting into it. But as a TV product, MLS is still inferior to the competition. As as a paid spectator going to a, a stadium, it's a fun night out, and and it's. At that level, you don't have as much competition other than from other sports. Obviously, the media rights bubble might burst, right? Uh, we see all kinds of issues now with, with college sports, uh, with what happened with the Pac-12. Uh, and uh, uh, because 
media rights is making up the bulk of revenue in sports yeah. uh, for, for, uh, for uh, football leagues around the world, Premier League in particular, and then um, uh, uh, college conferences here and, and professional leagues here, uh, uh, NBA and NFL in particular, NHL less so. Um, Major League Soccer, if the, if the media rights bubble doesn't burst, Major League Soccer has to change its revenue model. They have to get more money from media rights yep. to truly be competitive and truly be a top league on, on the global level. Yeah. I, I, I'm uh, saying that Serie A, by getting what is apparent, what is the equivalent of about um, 900 uh, million euros over three years for their domestic rights package, mm-hmm. is um, has left money on the table and will fall further and further behind the Premier League. Uh, and I think presumably Bundesliga and La Liga in terms of spending. So think about that. That is still per year from their own Italian domestic market far more than MLS is getting globally. per year globally. 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 Yeah. So and France, same situation. We're going to do something. Uh, I'll have a story on World Soccer Talk. Maybe it'll be next week mm-hmm. on Liga. They they they're in trouble with their domestic rights deal. Yeah. But all of these leagues are bringing in more media revenue than MLS. So how can MLS be? a top league in the world at the top of the global conversation and their revenue model doesn't change. So I think that has to happen for them to be in the conversation, or maybe they're the smart ones. Maybe the media rights bubble bursts and they're selling, they're selling more tickets than Serie A. They're selling more yeah. tickets yeah, yeah. than uh, Liga. Um, but I think we're not in a ticket driven model. We're in a sponsorship and media driven uh, financial model. Yeah, so which was a great point because every, everything comes back full circle. Again, Don Garber's words, what he said kind of at the beginning of this uh, podcast, we wanted to be part of the global conversation. And now we're the dominant story in global soccer and the eyes of the world are on MLS. And, and really what, what I mean by this is that also um, uh, Don Garber admitting that it's risky because what if they don't hit that minimum guarantee, whatever that is, right? Then alarm bells go off because... They're they're bringing in what two hundred fifty million dollars a year for ten years, so two point five billion. So two point five billion sounds like a lot of money, but like you said, too, in comparison to other major leagues from around the world, uh, and 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 the two point five billion is for a global cool. deal yeah. for ten years. So that should that's not enough to really move them into that top tier or even 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 into the top ten uh, soccer leagues from around the world. So whatever that minimum guarantee is. That, that's that's the key part of this, because if they don't hit that, then this is risky, because at that point, they might say, hey, we've got we to gotta do something else. This is not work. We're never going to be that big TV product. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. 
Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, We've got some great feedback from all of you listeners, of course. Uh, first up is Mike, and this is talking about last week's podcast about soccer shrinking, or is it, or is it growing? Uh, which is again a perfect segue with this podcast. So Mike says, "Great discussion. I think MLS and soccer in general need to find ways to be on network television. That is key to reaching a broader audience. Uh, men's soccer needs more high-level players. Stars drive interest, and the US does not really have any right now." MLS should be doing a daily or weekly show. It needs to be widely available. Fans need to get to know the players, coaches, staff, and fans. Something similar to the All or Nothing documentary for MLS, for every MLS team would be amazing. So what Mike says, I mean, really is what MLS and Apple want MLS season pass to be or have positioned MLS season pass. They have you know, uh, weekly shows. They have... Uh, documentaries in quotation marks similar to All or Nothing, or at least they have plans to. They got the Messi meets America. They got a lot of content uh, where you get to know the players, the coaches, the staff. But Mike's point though too is is really good. I mean, he wants this stuff to be available more on network television or not behind a paywall. Uh, and I agree with him. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with that, and I think MLS. And U.S. soccer in general have a problem telling edgy stories. It's funny. Uh, yeah. One of uh, the other people at the at the USL event today, uh, uh, today and I got into a uh, conversation about Clint Mathis because we were talking about great players from Florida and Georgia and like who could play for this Jacksonville USL team if it had been around twenty years ago. Uh, and we 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 ended up with Josh Wolf and Clint Mathis. Josh Wolf, kind of a conformist, right? He's he's been successful in MLS. Uh, but Clint Mathis is a guy the U.S. soccer community shunned and didn't want to tell the story of mm. because he was so edgy and he was so – his game was different. The way he, he talked was different. The way he expressed himself was different. And um, those sorts of guys are the guys you can build – uh, interest around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and MLS had Clint Mathis for years uh, before he we went to Germany and then he came back. And they probably have other Clint Mathises now who are American players. So I don't think it has to be an American player is a global superstar. We don't need an American Neymar or an American Mbappe. I think we need to have Americans that are identifiable yeah. for uh, for kind of edgy fans. We need to have uh, Americans that are that are cocky and trash talk and and mm-hmm. and do those sorts of things. And MLS has never wanted to embrace that side. And it's not just MLS; it's U.S. soccer has never wanted to embrace those sorts of guys. Yeah. They wanted to neuter the personality of so many guys. I mean, uh, I, I think about leagues in in Europe. There are so many of those guys in each of those leagues, in Serie A, in, in La Liga, in the Premier League, that yeah. you just uh, – you want to be entertained by them. Right. And and you, you you gravitate to them even if they're not the best players because of who they are. Yeah, I say bring back Zlatan. Yeah, yeah well, yeah. Okay, that's a prime example. Right. Yeah. Which which that was uh, – I mean, it's still somebody – if you mention Zlatan, a lot of people kind of like, oh, no, 
he, he said some really kind of uh, things he shouldn't, shouldn't have said. Uh, by the way, before uh, listeners uh, uh, write in, uh, Clint Mathis is from Georgia. <laughs> He's not from Florida. <laughs> but we were talking about guys from Georgia and Florida since Jacksonville's right near the border with Georgia. So Michael Lisi says, uh, Serie A fan here. I think the best all those leagues can do is at least cater to the fans they have. If they are going to ditch the diehards to chase new fans, you will get neither. I'll go back to shady streams and uh, save a few bucks. And what Michael's saying too is this is the discussion about uh, Serie A fans and what that size of that viewing audience is or, or that community. I mean, obviously they're really they're not fans of Serie A. They're fans of I mean Juve or AC Milan or whoever it may be. But how big is that market? And Serie A obviously wants to get more money from the TV rights. But Michael's saying like, hey, you know, I mean, basically, if you're going to ditch the, the diehards to chase the new fans, you'll get neither. And then the diehard fans will go to illegal streams and, and, and watch it that way. Yeah, I think that there's some truth to that. Uh, Michael, by the way, is an AC Milan fan. Great follow on Twitter. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in Italian football, uh, he's uh, besides Matteo Benetti, he's the, he's the next guy to follow. Um, I think uh, this is true. I think it's true of Bundesliga fans also. They kind of want to keep the identity and they want to keep uh, the community aspect and and uh, kind of the niche and, 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 and hipster element. And I have to say, I always felt there was some of that with um, with U.S. soccer, too. Right. Let's keep this kind of uh, within our community. And so yeah. to Garber's yeah. credit, to MLS's credit, he's paid to grow the league. Right. He's gr- yeah. gr- paid to grow the footprint. They're in a growth mode now, so he's talking in hyperbolic ways, but at least he's trying to grow that community. There are other leagues I I feel aren't. Yeah. Well, I think also he's looking at, I mean, Copa America, uh, Club World Cup, World Cup, possibly the Women's World Cup, and then the the Olympics. So a five-year span of time where this is going to be the best opportunity for soccer to grow ever. And they want to basically own that market. They want to get as much money from this as possible. So I think that's why they're being a little bit more aggressive and, and it's kind of saying these things outwardly. Uh, Greg says, that I'd agree that the audience may not be shrinking, but rather has plateaued. Uh, and I'd argue, paradoxically, that one reason is that there's just too much soccer on TV and streaming, too many options to watch every match from the top five European leagues and top matches in a handful of other leagues in Europe and South America, plus too many teams and too many summer tournaments. Um, it's just too much. So it's not it's not special any longer, and it's tiring to try to keep up with with all of uh, with with all of it. So the Premier League, the league that was first in with a big footprint, has all the stars, has great marketing for, from NBC and, and the league, and importantly, has matches on linear and streaming. Of course, they get ninety percent of the attention. I think that's right. That's I mean, right. yeah. So it's um, it is yeah. If you're a fan of you know, whatever club it is in the in the world, uh, there's a good chance you can watch those games, even if it's through uh, you mean a YouTube channel or if it's through streaming or for TV and stuff like that. Um, it is very fragmented. Speaking of fragmented, Dave mentions: Is soccer shrinking, or is the audience, the U.S. audience, uh, fragmenting? Some of your examples strike me more as potential consequences of fragmentation. Uh, is there hard data to suggest one way uh, or the other? It's a great point. Adolfos says, uh, the lack of sustained improvement and success of the U.S. men's national team in recent years has really put a cap on growing, uh, on growing interest in the sport. 
The fact is that the U.S. men's national team seems less relevant and less likely to improve than it was during the South Africa and Brazil World Cup World Cups. That hurts with the average sports fan that may not be familiar with the sport. And then Ernesto uh, mentions uh, Megan Rapino turned off a lot of dudes like myself to the U.S. women's national team. Americans generally are xenophobic and, and stick to their silly sports, such as American football and baseball. And then lastly, Ryan Evans says, uh, I really enjoyed your last part about the future of Serie A and Ligue 1 in regards uh, to their uh, TV rights future. My question would be, out of these three leagues, the Bundesliga, Serie A, and Ligue 1, uh, which of the three do you see Apple TV going after? It's been said that they want a European league. Which one would you think Apple would want and get? So I think Liga is the most likely because Seriad went ahead and settled for uh, a bad, what I consider a bad TV deal domestically. Right. But they felt they need to stay on television domestically in Italy uh, and maybe undervalued themselves. The Bundesliga has a great domestic TV deal, DAZN and Sky. I don't think they're going to give that up. Apple is interested primarily in global deals. And because Apple is primarily interested in global deals, Liga uh, who has turned down a domestic, uh, a potential domestic deal and has uh, made the decision to uh, go back to market and demand more money, maybe they're ripe for the taking now. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. So the next one is um, some of our listeners want to talk about MLS playoffs because we talked about kind of the structure of it and, I mean, how the new structure wasn't uh, working uh, as intended, or maybe it did work as intended, which is showing more games on Apple. Uh, <laughs> Christian says, what do you guys think about reseeding after every playoff round for Major League Soccer, where the highest remaining seed plays the lowest remaining? This is done in the NFL. I think MLS should do this as well. It would give the re- regular season more importance. Any uh, thoughts on that? Yes, absolutely. I, I've actually been an advocate for reseeding and everything. I, I didn't realize the NFL does that. That makes me think a little better of the NFL. Uh, I've been for reseeding in the NCAA tournament. I know that screws up people's bracket pools, mm. which is probably why they'll never do it. <laughs> but that uh, once you get like in the NCAA tournament, you go from 64 to 32, I think you reseed the 32 teams. That's my view of how you do, do this in any kind of knockout uh, type competition. Uh, I don't like actually the way um, uh, Champions League is done when you get or, or Europa League when you get to the final. Well, Europa League now because they've changed the format, it's not not until the quarterfinals you have the problem. But I feel like there should be seeding of teams mm-hmm. so that you 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 wait matchups and you don't have uh, you don't have a te- the te- two teams that shouldn't be playing each other in the quarterfinals playing each other. So right. yeah, I think that would make the regular season more meaningful. And then I think as well. Um, you have to uh, do something uh, to, 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 to protect the higher seats. And, you know, Jesse Marsh now has a podcast, right, uh, on CBS. He's, he's now on the CBS. Uh, he replaced Keith Pierce on there. Jesse Marsh is the guy who said a couple of years ago, maybe I shouldn't go all out in the regular season with Red Bull. This is why Jesse Marsh probably will never manage an MLS again. Even mm-hmm. though, and why maybe he's done better in Europe than other American managers. Uh, because now I'm learning, I go, you know, I go hard in the regular season. I'm at a disadvantage in the playoffs because yeah. of the way they've structured it. So maybe I'll right. get in as the last playoff team next year. Right. Uh, he never tested it because after he said that, he then moved to Leipzig. But um, it, it, it is um, 
it is something that the coaches are thinking. I think Marsh said the, that part out loud. I think the coaches are all thinking that. Yeah. Yeah. What's the point of the right. regular season if you're not going to protect us in the playoffs somehow? Exactly. And then Carlos says, uh, I will not spend time watching Mexican soccer. Why? I'm not Mexican. Uh, MLS, I rarely watch. Why? This is a composite of both MLS and the Mexican League. The announcers, men and women, they spend their time on idle chit-chats. They give coaching lessons, and they give you the in and outs of the play. Now, now, why do I need uh, that information as neither team is going to adjust their tactics to please the announcers? But most of all, it's annoy- annoying. Give me play-by-play or just shut up. <laughs> Stuart Holden is the worst. However, I appreciate his knowledge. Uh, give him his own TV show or pre- or post-matches. Um, he is not alone. The Mexican uh, announcers even chat about their families. Who gives a crap? The MLS Liga Mekis Interplay League, uh, I guess the League's Cup, uh, was interesting but spoiled by announcers. Watching on mute is not an option, so I watched the Premier League for superior play and also play-by-play. Without the play-by-play, you never know who the players are. So unless these announcers shut up, I'm not watching. This applies also to the Women's League. I think this might also be an American announcer thing. So I, I, there were many years I didn't really watch American sports. Uh, I've gotten back into college basketball, as I think our listeners know, the last two or three seasons. Uh, there was a match which, Chris, you're going to love this. Dave O'Brien was calling uh, a, a basketball game recently. recently? Yes, oh, just wow. two weeks ago. Dave O'Brien and Jay Billis. And they were not paying attention to the game. Uh, got, two guys got into foul trouble. They didn't notice it. They didn't know why they were off the floor. They were talking about, oh, this and that and like extraneous topics. I think, in fact, uh, there was a, so- a soccer crept in because Dave O'Brien said something about Anson Dorrance in the middle of this. Uh, like, oh, the great Anson Dorrance, uh, you know, in North Carolina. Uh, and uh, – I was like, my gosh, this is appalling. So then there was a, a FAU game a week later, and Dave O'Brien, it was the same two announcers. And I turned it off within five minutes and listened to Ken Lavica, who's the voice of FAU Sports, and listened to his call of the game because they were doing the same thing. So I think this is an American thing, a North American thing, maybe? Um, no, I think it's an American thing in terms of the storytelling. Yeah. I mean, it's just really most American sports. That's just the way that I think. And they weren't calling the game. O'Brien yeah. wasn't calling the game at all. And yeah. he hadn't noticed guys had gotten into foul trouble. And Dave O'Brien, for those who don't know, uh, tried his hand at soccer for the 2006 World Cup uh, for ABC and uh, was a disaster. I mean, it was a, which I didn't know who he was at the time, but a baseball guy doing soccer. Uh, it was really. And that's really why cool. it didn't work for me in basketball. Cause there are guys who call basketball games. Mm-hmm. He's a baseball guy calling basketball yeah. and he was treating it like a baseball game where you have all kinds of dead time, which yeah. I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basketball is like soccer. It's constantly moving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he didn't notice things. He missed, he missed on some things. So Steve wants to talk to you, Kartik about uh, the football league. He says, I'm glad to hear Kartik talking about, English League Two. I wish ESPN would put matches on more consistently. Besides the interesting stories of Wrexham, Notts County, and Stockport, there's more down the table. AFC Wimbledon, a club with a well-documented and unique history. Uh, Salford City, or Salford City, uh, class of 92 connections. And Forest Green Rovers, above and beyond environmental activism, to name a few. Four teams getting promoted also makes for fewer dead rubber matches among mid-table clubs. Yeah, and that's the shame of it, right? Is that right now, I mean, unless you're subscribing to iFollow, 
I mean, ESPN Plus shows maybe like what one or two league two games a, a month. Yeah. So um, we're missing out. And uh, the Salford City Stockport Derby. Uh, now, to me, is effectively the Manchester United Manchester City derby. Yeah. Really, when and I, I'm I'm a City supporter. And I also support Stockport. I think I've said that yeah. before on this podcast. So I follow Stockport. We had a match against Salford late last season, which we drew, which cost us the automatic promotion, and then had to play them again in the playoffs uh, and didn't get through. So um, yeah, there are so many great storylines in League Two, but it's tough for Americans to follow. Yeah, totally. Especially when there's so much other stuff on. We talked about the fragmentation. Yeah. Last um, piece of the mailbag is from Chris about the NWSL. He says, when it comes to ION and their new deal with the NWSL for 2024, I think it's great. As someone who watches the, the uh, WNBA, in addition to the NWSL, Scripps has done a, a good job with that property. Although I should point out that the ION, the ION simply airs the games while WNBA produces them. Scripps has also gotten involved with regional NHL broadcasts recently as well, mainly with the Arizona Arizona Coyotes, Coyotes and Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, though more teams may be added uh, due to the due, due to Bally's uh, regional sports network collapse and Warner Brothers Discovery uh, getting out of the RSN business. My friend who lives down in Arizona has told me that the broadcasts so far have been quite clunky in terms of the audio especially if you're watching uh, via Fubo or Sling. This is something to keep in mind when watching NWSL matches on ION, as scripts could go either route when it comes to coverage. Yeah, so my understanding is there'll be two scripts, uh, two ION matches a weekend, both on Saturdays, um, and that NWSL Productions is going to produce those matches. So uh, it's up to NWSL, I, much like you're saying with WNBA to produce it and produce the right uh, the right product. So um, that's the, the plan. Two matches on Saturday uh, will be on ION. I'm not sure about the other, how many teams does NWSL have now? So the other five matches a weekend, I'm not sure how that's going to be split up between CBS, ESPN, and Amazon. But I'm sure when we find out, we'll report it here. We'll soccer talk. But two, two matches for sure a weekend on ION, I'm told. Yeah. All right, guys, I think that's about it. So uh, if you do have any questions, feedback, or, uh, or comments for us, uh, let us know. There's a bunch of different ways you can get in touch with us. Uh, one is through email, which is web at worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, you can go to the website, worldsoccertalk.com, click on podcasts, and then leave your comments in the most recent uh, podcast episode. There's uh, facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. Uh, Twitter is at worldsoccertalk. And then youtube.com slash world soccer talk. You can post your comments there in the podcast episodes. Uh, also, there's voicemail, which is 561 247 4625. And we can read out your uh, comments on air through the, uh, the voicemail. Kartik, um, what's going on with Beyond the 90? I know, I know there's a lot going on, but let, let, let the I, re- readers and listeners know. Yeah, I think a lot of coverage of, of what, what I just attended with you. Uh, Jacksonville launch for USL, uh, continuing coverage of the soccer wars between NWSL and USL Super League, as well as maybe a look at this MLS Next Pro yeah. uh, situation that we discussed at length in this podcast. So uh, beyond the 90.substack.com, uh, subscribe if you're interested. All right, Kartik. Well, thank you for being on the show, uh, as always. And listeners, thanks for tuning in. Kartik, what are you going to do and what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 